Well, good morning, Swerve Church. How are we doing? How are we doing? Hope everyone's doing well. Welcome to Swerve this morning. My name is Stephen. For those of you visiting for the first time, let me welcome you. I serve here as the Connections Pastor, and it is my joy, privilege, and pleasure to conclude our sermon series titled Twisted, right? Um, so we've had a pretty fun time looking at some popular verses in the past three weeks. Uh, we're going to wrap it up today. What we're looking at, if you haven't gotten the uh, clue yet, is we're taking some verses that have been popular, used, but misused, or misquoted, or twisted, right? And so we looked at these verses. Sometimes we've used them or twisted them up intentionally, right, to get our way. We looked at that a couple weeks ago, right? It's good to kind of use some verses in a way that we, we, we can get our way and kind of, you know, get the points on our side. And so sometimes intentionally, but other times it's been done unintentionally, right, where we just kind of misused the verse. We thought that's what it says. We, we've grown up hearing it used in that way. And so we, we're looking at that. And what we've hoped in this series is this. We've hoped not only to obviously help us to get these scriptures right, right, and to understand them in their context, but we've hoped that through this series that you guys have felt motivated to open up your Bibles, um, to read your word, and to understand, to look for how do you understand your word in its context, and not only that, how do you properly apply it to your life? And so that's our hope for this entire series. We want to grow personally, but we want to grow as a family. And though we've enjoyed some of this humor, especially in the uh, the video game, the, the, the talk show host, right? Um, but we've been intentional to stress this. We've been intentional to stress that, hey, this series is not about shaming you if you've misquoted or twisted up these verses and used them wrong in the past. We're not aiming at shaming you and saying, hey, you've been, you're wrong. And, and just like that, I mean, poking fun at Downer, what's his name? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's it's humor, but we're not aiming at insulting you or shaming you and making you walk out of here like, man, I've messed up and now God is disappointed in me. No, quite the opposite. Right. We want us to learn and to grow so that we can understand the scripture, understand who God is and our place in this. Right. And ultimately glorify God and how we understand the scriptures. Amen. All right. So today is no different. We're going to look at our last often twisted verse in the Bible. Um, and it's very hard to preach when there is food on your mind. It's also very hard to preach when you're talking about money. Most of you guys will probably roll your eyes at me a few times when we when I go through this talk to get today. But it's in the word and we got to understand what the Bible teaches correctly about money. And so here's the verse we're going to be looking at. It's found in 1 Timothy 6.10. It's going to be up on the screen, hopefully. And I want us to read this verse together. Here we go. One, two, three. Money is the root of all evil. What's up, bro? Goldo's laughing, and I, why? Why is he laughing? And I can see some puzzled faces, and you guys are like, Barris, you ain't getting me with this one. That verse doesn't really go that way. No, no, it doesn't go that way. What does the verse really say, though, then? What is, oh, oh here we go. Didn't expect it. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? And so we're going to look at what is Paul, who's the writer of this letter. He's writing it to the young disciple, Timothy. He's a young man, a young pastor who he's, he's coming alongside and he's training up. And he sends him this letter. And we're going to look at um, uh, what he really says in 1 Timothy 6.10. But by a show of hands, how many of you have either used that verse in that way or understood it that way or have heard it said exactly like that? Right. I know I have. Right. Many of us for sure have heard the verses said like that. For, the money, for money is rule or evil. And so I want to stop, as I mentioned earlier, it's a little tricky preaching when we have food on your minds and we're talking about money. So to kind of get off the little edge, right, that you guys probably have right now, I want to do something a little bit different. And so when I came in, this chair set up already, and I was able to sneak $10 under one of these chairs. Junie's like, why am I sitting back there? It's not over there, buddy. Sorry. And so on a count of three, all right, not right now, 
See the faces are changing already. Now I got your attention. But on the count of three, we're going to look under your chairs, and hopefully you got that $10. Are you ready? One, two, three. You guys seem very hesitant. <laughs> all right. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Some of you didn't move, and those of you who didn't move probably know this guy better us. He's cheap. He ain't going to put $10 in your chairs. All right, and so I got you. Made you guys look. Made you look. But what you should have seen is your faces, right? All of a sudden, it's a money, and your motion changed, right? It's like, man, I, I, money can be coming my way. I didn't know that this morning I came to church, right? And your emotions changed, and all of a sudden, I got some attention. And now, you should have seen your faces when you looked up, and like, oh, the burger's got me. Look of disappointment. Look of anger. Like, how dare he, right? See, money has that kind of effect on us, right? Money can change our emotions. Money can give us hot, make us feel so high and happy when we feel it's coming our way, when we have a lot of it, right? Or we're expecting it to come. We look forward to that check. Money can have an effect on us. But on the opposite side, when we realize money's not coming our way, or when we don't have enough, right, it, 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 it has a negative effect on us. Money has this power because money's promised a lot of things, and we believe what it promises. And it's caused many people to actually do some really crazy things for money. How many of you can tell stories of what crazy stuff you've probably done for money? In fact, I, I researched some of that because that's what we do when we preach. We like to research some nonsense stuff. And so I looked up some things. Man, what are some crazy things that people have actually done for money? Now, I got to this website, and there's a lot of stuff that I had to kind of like leave out because it just would not fly here. right? Um, it just wouldn't be cool. Um, and so I left out some of that, but I left some of the funny stuff of what people have actually done and they've shared to gain some money. So number one. This person said, I let a medical examiner inject me with salt water so he could record how much pain I was in. <clears throat> Number two, I signed up for a site that pays you uh, to read articles, go visit other pages, and download a bunch of stuff. He said, I end up earning $5 and having to buy my new computer because I caused my computer with so many new viruses in there. Right? Number three, I snorted wasabi. It was not worth the $2. <laughs> I licked a bus pole to save on um, pizza money with a coupon that ended up being expired. Stinks. This one is gross. I licked a dead bird for $20. $20. Bugging. I ate, a, <laughs> I would do it. I ate a half a stick of butter for $20. Eesh. That's a win. <laughs> Number seven is the last one. I ate a mixing spoon full of bacon grease for $15 and a $5 Best Buy coupon. I'll do that one. Right. Love bacon. Money can make us do some crazy things, right? It's almost like, again, money has this power to make us act in ways that we normally would not act, right? In ways that we normally probably would not, ways we wouldn't think normally. But when money's involved, all of a sudden, we think in different ways, we act in different ways. We can think out of character. Now, I want us to look at the verse, right, of the text, again, that we had, the wrong, incorrect version. For money is the rule of evil. And this is not what it says, right? I'm going to kill this suspense. The Bible does not say money is the root of all evil. But it's often misquoted. It's often twisted, right? And we're going to see in a moment now as we look at that verse and we're going to look at it in its context because that's what we've been doing in this four-week series, right? We've been looking at the verses in its context. And then what we've been doing is we've been looking at other verses in the Bible to study the Bible with the Bible. We said that's one of the ways you want to learn how to interpret what Scripture says. If what you're interpreting it like has nothing, it, it never says that anywhere else. In fact, in other Scriptures, the word kind of contradicts what you've come to uh, believe a verse means. Then you want to check yourself. You want to go back and revisit it. Man, am I misinterpreting what this verse is saying? So we're going to do that today. So if you have your bulletins, you should have gotten them when you walked in. Uh, take them out and follow along with your notes. 
On the top of the notes, you're going to see that uh, what we're going to be going through is what I'm calling the ABCs of a biblical understanding of money. Okay, the ABCs of a biblical understanding of money. And so A in your notes is this. Acknowledge that money is not evil. Acknowledge that money is not evil. The verse does not say for money is the root of all evil. What does it really say? And so I'm going to read for us 1 Timothy 6 verses 6 through 10. In your notes, you will see verse 10, the first half of verse 10. And that's where we're going to focus in. But I want to read. I want to backtrack. All right. So I'm going to read for us verses 6 through 10. Again, this is in 1 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up to 1 Timothy's in the New Testament, chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. You guys good? All right, let's go. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many Father, we just want to pray, God, that you would help us to learn the word of God, Lord, in a way that is true to who it, what it says, God, and it's true to who you are, Father. Our, our aim is always, God, to bring you glory. And so, Lord, help us to learn much of you and much of ourselves that we would surrender, God, to you and to your perfect ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so say this together. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Let's say that together. One, two, three. The root of all evil. Kinds of evil. Excuse me. I made a mistake. What we need to understand is that money in of itself is not evil, right? Money, if anything, is just a means of how we exchange value. That's all money really is. So here's the deal for us. Now, I understand we're in Bushwick. And so in our context, right, 32% of us in living in Bushwick live below the poverty line. So I'm pretty sure none of us rolled up to church here in a Lamborghini, right? None of us are balling today. Well, we got one guy raising his hand. Yes, he is. Everyone... Go that way at the end of the service. So, right, in our context, when we hear this verse, the natural reaction for all of us is to say, man, then this doesn't apply to me. Right? I don't have enough money to love money. <laughs> right? And so the natural thing, man, that's, that's for the rich guy who works in Wall Street or someone who has it all. Or Dice Daniels, someone who lives in Park Slope. Right? All right. <laughs> all right. You probably hear the verse and you're like, man, it doesn't apply to me then, Burials. Because I don't have enough. You're just preaching to you. Swerve churches in Bushwick, bro. 32% of us live by. This does not apply to us. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's talking about some rich guy. But what does it actually mean to love money? What does it actually mean to love money? Is having a lot of money an accurately an accurate way of measuring if you love it or not? Is lo- having a lot of money an accurate way to to measure if you love it or not. The Bible actually gives us a definition of this. The Bible gives us a definition of how we can know if we actually love money. You will see that in Ecclesiastes 5.10. King Solomon writes this, right? And he writes this, and King Solomon says this in the Old Testament about loving money. Here's the definition. This is how you can know if you love money. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. And so let me ask you this question and be honest. How many of you would say that if I had just a little bit more money, life would be a little bit easier? How many of you would say that, right? If I just had a little bit more money, life would be a little bit easier. Okay, and so if I'm honest, I've thought that plenty of times. Those of you who don't know my story, my wife and I, we got married very young. 
I was 20, she was 21 years old when we got married. All right, and so when we had our first child two years later, um, she, my wife, right before pre- we, uh, giving birth, decided that she was going to stop working. Well, we decided that. It was a, an agreement between the both of us, and so she was going to stop working. That meant that our income was going to be relying on what I'm making. Okay? And so as a 22-year-old at this time, my yearly salary was $24,000 okay? a year. My wife said, make sure you say a year. <laughs> $24,000 a year. All right, we lived in Park Slope, Brooklyn, all right, where, well, Bay Ridge is correcting me. Bay Ridge, yes, Bay Ridge, we, we, we moved out of uh, Park Slope at that point. So we were living in Bay Ridge, and so at this time, and 22 years old, I still had a college loan to pay. All right, I still had a college loan to pay. I still had bills and rent that wasn't going to slow down because now they know, okay, it's just bury us a salary, let's, let's give them a break. No, that didn't happen. And now we had a baby that was going to need everything a human baby would need, right? Right, and that's it. Graceland right there. She's looking at me. Yep, we, we would need to buy her diapers. We'll need to get her the baby food, the clothes, and all that. All right. And so there were plenty of times when my wife and I would look at each other and say, man, this, it is a struggle. It is a struggle. And we will say this. If we just had this much money, just a little bit more, it would be good. It would be good. Right? And by God's grace, a few years later, I got a little raise, and then we got that little bit more. Got a little bit more. What began to happen? You guessed it, right? All of a sudden, man, here, it was just just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I promised, darling, I'll be able to give you everything you need. Just a little bit more. And then, baby number two. That line now shot all the way up there. Just this much, right? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. It happens, man. It happens with all of us. We, We say we just need a little bit more. I'm sure you guys can relate to this. How much will it take us to be finally satisfied? The answer would be just a little bit more. It's a revealing of our hearts, right? It's a revealing of our hearts when it comes to money. And King Solomon tells us that whoever loves money is never satisfied with what they have. It's never satisfied with their income. And so if we go back to our verse, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We see that money itself isn't evil, but the love for money is. And our love for money, using the definition we just learned, right, is evil. Now, the word love, as we understand it in our English language, right, can take on so many different reasons, the meanings, right? Fortunately, our language is very limited. When we hear the word love and it's translated from the Greek into our language, it's just love, right? But we understand, man, my love for my wife is not the same as my love for the Mets. It's very close, but it's not quite there, <laughs> all right? My love for pizza, when I say I love pizza, is not the same as when I say, man, I love my kids, right? Right? There's all different ways in which we use the word love, and it means different in different ways. Right? It has, we can have this blurred understanding of what the word really means in our English language. And so what I want us to do is to understand the love that's used here in our verse. The love for money here, really in its Greek, is translated as to set out hoping. So there's a little extra note for those of you who like to say, to set out our hoping, to set our hoping, excuse me. Right? So we get a probably a little bit better understanding here. What Paul is telling us when we understand that that word for love there is when he's saying, man, those of us who set our hope in money, to love it, to set our hope in it, is what leads to all kinds of evil. So number A, acknowledge that money itself is not evil. B, A, B, beware of discontentment. Beware of discontentment. Why do we so wrongly believe that more money would bring us satisfaction? 
You know, I think part of the reason why is because we become so obsessed with more stuff, right? More stuff. We get that little and we quickly say, I want to raise that line just a little bit more. We become discontent with where we at and what we have. Beware of that. Beware of discontentment. In fact, our verse in its context would help us see that the actual theme of what Paul is talking about is not centered around money, but it's centered around godliness. And so let's go back a few verses. This one, I think it's in your notes. It's going to be on the screen. Verse 6 through 8. We're going to see that godliness is really the theme of what Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with these. You see, it's not wrong to have money. It's not wrong, obviously, to go to work to earn some money. That is not what we're saying. It's not what Paul is saying. right? It's not also wrong to go out and want to spend our money on the things we need and what we like. right? But it's when we are not aware of our tendency to grow in discontent that we are in danger now of falling into error. It's when we, 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 we can thank God for our blessings of money, but when we then become discontent with what we have, it's when you're falling into trouble. When we begin to center our lives around how much we can store up for ourselves, it's when we're missing the point. Paul reminds us so clearly there that we came into this world with nothing. We're going to take nothing out of it. Truth is, though, that so many of us worry so much about how much we have. How much we can save. Again, I'm not saying let's not invest our money wisely. No. Am I saying let's not have bank accounts to help us manage our money? No. Am I saying that we shouldn't save for our retirement? Or No. But we must not become worried about these things. And Paul goes on, he says this, if we have food and clothing, and I had to stop here when I was reading this, when, I have, when you have food and clothing, you'll be content with these. And I had to ask myself, is that really true? If I have food and clothing, that's all. Will I be content? Naturally, man, I add like food, clothing, and my iPhone, right? Food, clothing, and the Mets. Food, clothing, and whatever. But Paul is teaching us something very important here, I believe. If we stop and really think about what he's saying, there's a lesson for us to, to learn. And what that lesson is, he's intent, essentially teaching us this. The riches are not those who, need, who have the most, but those who need the least. I'm going to say that again. The riches are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. You know, I found that to be true in my life in many ways, but one of the ways in which I really found that to be true is on family nights when my wife and I and our kids, we would put away all the things that we have, right? No TV, the phone goes away, and we have family game night, and we'll play a game together, and it's very simple. Now, we don't do this often enough. I'm not, we don't do it often enough, but when we do it, I found that I felt the richest at that point. As a husband, as a dad, I felt, I felt as rich as I can when I had my children. Or another way, when we sat around our tables and we have nothing but food on our table and we're sharing stories and we're asking, how was your day? How was your day? Give me your high, your low. Those are the sweetest moments in our family. It's not with the TVs on and we're watching our movies or the Met game. And it's not when we have our phones and, and we're listening to music or whatever it is. It's those moments where all that is put away and you just have things that mean the most. The riches are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. Another way that we can understand this truth is how many of us have said to our kids or to those younger at us or at school, right, and you say something and the kid's trying to grow up so fast, and you say, man, enjoy being a kid now without the responsibilities of an adult. Or we said something along those lines to the kids. And what are we telling our kids there? 
We're telling them, man, life is, is, is not best when you can have it all, when you think you have it all, when you own your own stuff. But life is at its best when it is simplest. The riches are not those who have the most, but those who need the least. I heard it, say, it said this way. Discontentment can make a rich person poor. And contentment can make a poor person rich. Paul goes on and he says this in verse 9 and 10. It's in your notes. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. By craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So important for us to get. Sadly, too many relationships have been broken because of a love for money. Too many marriages no longer exist because of a love for money. Too many children are not speaking to their parents because of some argument over money. Siblings and, and families are destroyed because of an issue with money. And Paul goes on and he says, not only that, but even within the church. He says, by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs. Brothers and sisters, this can have eternal consequences. Beware of this contentment. This leads us to the C of A, B, C of biblical understanding of money, and that is contentment puts money in its proper place. Contentment puts money in its proper place. Instead of desiring more and more stuff, we learn from verse 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. More stuff won't make us happy. And I thought of McDonald's. Despite what McDonald's would tell us when you buy that Happy Meal, right, it doesn't work. All right, the other day, I took my son to, to McDonald's, right, and he guess what he always gets? The only thing he gets is uh, four-piece chicken nuggets at McDonald's with the Happy Meal, right? And it worked. He was happy for a few minutes. He was happy when we took him to uh, the, the playground afterwards, and he was happy. The Happy Meal was working. But as soon as I said, let's go home, get your shoes, guess what happened? The happiness sort of like, just disappeared, right? That Happy Meal was temporary. Now, of course, I'm kidding here a little bit with the illustration of the Happy Meal, but we all know that money cannot buy happiness, right? We have to understand that a biblical understanding of money is that contentment puts it in its proper place. But you know what? We joke with that as kids, but as adults, we buy Happy Meals. I'm not talking about McDonald's Happy Meals, but how many of us have to go out and buy the new iPad or the new iPhone, right? The latest gadget, new pair of sneakers, the new Jordans. Are they, are they new Jordans? They're old, right? I don't, I don't have a pair of joints myself. All right. All right. Uh, uh, get a new, 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 the new model of a car, whatever it is, right? We, we get so involved in happy meals. And so for me, you know, I, I, recently, got, I recently got saved. And so what I mean by that is I went from an Android to an iPhone, right? And I, I got myself a first iPhone. And I was happy. And a few weeks later, I said, man, I need that MacBook. And I got the MacBook. And I'm, yeah, this is all for ministry, right? I'm able to type up my sermons, I'm using my iPad right now, and so, man, it's, and then, and then my wife jokes with me, and she says, Barry or Steve, she goes, Steve, I mean, right now you're happy, but in a few weeks, you're going to need that Apple Watch, aren't you, right, you're going to need to, it's just not the same now without the Apple Watch, right, and so we, we get so wrapped up in all these gadgets and happy meals, even as adults, but the Bible teaches us that contentment puts money in its proper place, Jesus said this in Luke 12, 15, in Luke 12, 15, this is Jesus. He said, he told them, watch out, be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. 
Hear this. My worth, your worth, my worth, your worth is not measured by the amount of money you have or don't have. And so guard against the lies in this world that tell you that the abundance in life comes with the abundance of your possessions. But instead, let's learn to be content with what we have. Going back to verse 6, Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul is speaking directly here to the false teaching in this church at this time, right? That is saying that godliness is a means to earning more money. He's teaching us that true godliness, true godliness is when we become content and trusting and having confidence in the God who promises to care for all our things, not the money. It's when we have in light of eternity, we understand that material possessions, what we might have are worthless compared to the riches that we have in Christ Jesus alone. King Solomon again said it this way, better is one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort in a pursuit of the wind. Remember that just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. That is a pursuit of the wind. You can chase it, but you're never going to catch it. When we are content, we understand that money was never meant to bring us satisfaction. But instead, contentment means that you are resting in an attitude that God is going to come through. God is going to meet your need, not money. And because of this truth, we don't need more money. We need more Jesus. We don't need more money. We need more Jesus. And this is a bonus point, A, B, C, D, dependence. On God is where true hope and satisfaction is found. Money promises what only God can provide. Money never lives up to his promises. Money will never bring you happiness. It's never going to bring you security. It's never going to bring you significance. You must understand that money will never meet your deepest need. Jesus will meet your deepest need. We don't need more money. We need more Jesus. I don't need more money. I need more Jesus. You don't need more money. You need more Jesus. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or set their hope in uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. We can enjoy this stuff in our lives, but when we put it in its proper place, when we understand that we don't need more money, and more stuff, but what we need is more Jesus. When we put our dependence on God, where our true hope and satisfaction is found, then and only then can we live free. Then and only then will you know your true worth. Your true worth comes in the very fact that you are a child of God. That you are a child of God. In him, you are secured. In him, your hope is secured. We have a secured hope, a hope as an anchor for our souls, Firm and secure in Christ Jesus. This is why, Swerve Church, we can be so generous with what we have in Christ. Because the power that has broke us free from the love of money is anchored in the power of Christ. And the freedom in Christ. Who died for our misplaced hope. Who died for our misplaced trust in money and things. And he died to keep us and to free us from the bondage of all these things. And to set us free. He died to set us free from our sins. He died to put to death all the sin that entangles us. And his resurrection from the tomb three days later has now set us free from the power of that sin and death. This is why it can be our joy now to give freely as Christ has given us. 
This is why I swear, church, we can have a joy in this life and not storing up for ourselves treasures here on earth, but we can instead commit to living a life fully devoted to Christ. And we can lead others to do the same. Let us pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God, that our worth and our value is never measured up in the amount of things we have or the lack of things we have. But God, we can sit here today, this morning, with the hope that is firm and secured in Christ, that our value comes in Christ and Christ alone. God, I pray that you would help us, Lord God, to, to hold on to the things that we have in this world lightly, God, thanking you for the blessings that we have, but God, ultimately knowing that all of it is worthless compared to the treasure and the value in Christ that we have. So God, I pray for my friends here today who don't have this value who don't know that Christ has loved them, that Christ has died for them, that Christ sees their value and not in what they've done, that what they would do will always fall short, that they don't have to do a single thing this morning except for trust in Jesus' name. So I pray for that brother. I pray for that sister. I pray for our friend here today. I pray for those of us here, God, who have misplaced our trust in things that you would help us by your grace to place our trust and hope in Jesus. Help us to say, God, we repent. We are sorry for how we have misplaced our trust. We don't want that anymore, but we want you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We don't need more stuff. We don't need more money, but I need more of you, Jesus. And so help me, God. Save me, Father. And I thank you and I praise you that in Christ now I am secured. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.